The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. up everybody i know we had like a wow wow week wow week so um this episode i want to actually talk to an author a black author her name is aya de leon and she has this new book out called sciatic nation and like it's part of like this feminist heist um like you know uh social justice novel books and they're like you know part mystery uh part sex positive you know and kind of like everyday heroes in a way so she actually calls her novels the Justice Hustler novels and they're like really action packed and you know they're very political and it's like crime fiction and romance and street literature all into one and she teaches creative writing at um, UC Berkeley's and the African American Studies Department so there is a giveaway um, on Fabulize Mag Instagram. So if you go on IG and you look up Fabulize Mag, F A B U L I Z E M A G, um, depends on when you hear this, it might be over, but you can still try to, you know, get a book or not. So enter the giveaway is completely free if it's still going on and, um, check it out. So. I just want to give you a quick synopsis of the book before uh, we go into the interview. So it is really one of the first novels to address human trafficking um, that pretty much happened on the back of Hurricane Maria, which was in Puerto Rico. And so that's pretty much where it, um, the plot of the book Sidechick Nation is really um, is surrounded and mirrors from. So it really goes, you know, talks about you know, sexual capital and women's health care and labor rights. So I don't want you all to think that, oh, Dainty Thug talking about another ratchet book. I mean, I love ratchet books. I love ratchet TV. But this is a little bit, it's not really surface. Like, it's, you know, like, it's, you know, there's some books that are like very surface. And there's nothing wrong with that because I read a lot of, you know, strictly surface books that you don't have to really think too hard and you don't really walk away with a big takeaway from it but I really um I've started reading it and I really like the character development into it so um if you have YouTube well everybody has access to YouTube um subscribe to our YouTube channel our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Fabulize Magazine, F-A-B-U-L-I-Z-E-M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E. And we're, I'm actually going to talk about this, um, make a video of it. So we're going to get into the interview. 
you can follow her online. Well, you, you'll get to talk to, well, not talk to her, but you'll get to meet her and listen to everything we talked about. And let me know what your thoughts are. So you can always find me online at daintythug.rocks. Okay. You can always email me. I hate at daintythug.rocks. And, um, I'll talk to you guys next week because we have so much to talk about. We gotta talk about Beyonce's new song. We gotta talk about Robin Muller. Just a lot of stuff that's going on in the media. So, but here's a feel good. So get a glass of wine, relax, release, and get into the Sajic Nation. Hi. Because we're going to have a discussion about Sajic Nation. Now, I want you to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and, you know, how long you've been writing, where you from, you know, where you living at now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'd be glad to. My name is Aya De Leon. I am an author out of the Oakland Bay Area. Um, I am currently the author of four novels um, in the Justice Hustlers series that's published by Kensington Books. And I call them feminist heist novels, but they fit in a lot of different categories. Urban fiction, romantic suspense, crime fiction, um, women's fiction, chiclet, romance. Um, And I, you know, I really wanted to write uh, a series that had women of color, particularly women of the African diaspora, in the center of it um, that mm-hmm. was entertaining but also really political. And the one thing I'll say is before I did, uh, before I started writing fiction, the first of these books was published in 2016, I had like a 15-year career as a spoken word artist, and I did some okay. hip-hop, and particularly hip-hop theater. So I, you know, did a lot of social commentary in those more performance genres and now I'm uh I'm uh taking that career twist to be writing mostly fiction. Okay. Um tell us, you know, what is you know, Justice Hustler? Like what does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, when I started writing the series, I wanted to write a sort of a Robin Hood but with a woman of color. And so the Mm -hmm. first book in the series, Uptown Thief, is about a Puerto Rican woman, Marisol Rivera, who is running a clinic, a health clinic for women in the hood in New York. And, you know, I think those of us who have worked at nonprofits, just it's always about where are we going to get this money from. And I know having worked at nonprofits, there would be this moment where we'd be like, oh, we need to just rob a bank, you know, and right. people would laugh about it. But this book is sort of that fantasy come to life where this group of women who are providing services to their community, they come across this opportunity to heist a corrupt group of corporate CEOs who are involved in a sex trafficking scandal. And they have the ability, they have some uh, certain illegal skills that they're able to use, and they begin heisting these guys. And then it leads to this sort of big heist that, you know, could change everything for them. And that's, um, that's sort of the core heist plot 
of um, Uptown Thief, and then when Kensington Books bought it, uh, they wanted a series, and I had ideas for other books. So now I'm four books in, Uptown Thief, The Boss, The Accidental Mistress, and then this year's book, Side Chick Nation. So are you, like, pumping out books, like, every year? Like, how, how is I am. the series? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. This I am, out, and like, it's a little year. bit crazy. <laughs> It's a little How crazy. long does it um, take you to write a book? Well, with Uptown Thief, it took me eight years, and with every book since then, it's taken me one year. Because so you've got to do it wow. really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I've okay. learned how to write quickly. But, you know, that's the black womanly way. We're going to make a way out of no way. I was like, I can't do this. And it's like, well, apparently I can. You know, when you have the right, when you have the right kind of pressures and motivation and you know, I had been writing for many years before then, so I had some skills, and then I had motivations, and then I had a deadline, and then I made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. Okay, now, from just, you know, judging a book off this cover, you know, we've seen titles that are similar to it that uh, sometimes are just really surface level. It doesn't really, you know, get deep into a real uh, plot that you have to think about. But the location that you have, without giving too much away, between Puerto Rico and the United States is kind of like a, a plot twist in a way because as, as the right. politics, especially the current politics, have relates to Puerto Rico and the United States. Could you Can you tell us, like, why you chose that specifically and how that oh, absolutely in your book? Yes. So the first thing I'll say is um, this book is very much about Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. And in fact, it's the first novel to be published about Hurricane Maria. Um, and so I, the title Side Chick Nation, it, you know, it works on two different levels. One, the young woman who is the protagonist of the book, you know, the way that she's been living uh, earlier in her life, the way that she was living, um, not through her own choice because she was pimped as a teen, um, and then when she gets out of that, she finds herself, you know, having a boyfriend who's married and then having a sugar daddy and then having a series of sugar daddies. So there's a way that she has settled in to this sort of side chick situation where she's gotten comfortable and, um, you know, so part of what the book is about is her reexamining those choices and that setup. But then the bigger kind of side chick metaphor is about how Puerto Rico as a colony of the United States is this um, nation that the United States goes to when it's time to take, but then when Puerto Rico was in trouble and really needed the United States, the U.S. was nowhere to be found. And this is really very much like a side chick story where it's like, oh, you my boo, I'm going to take care of you, except really my loyalty is, you know, if it is to anybody, it's definitely, you know, going to be to my sort of more traditional family and not to you. And so that was very much what I was working with there. 
with Side Chick Nation in terms of, you know, what, how it was functioning in this character's life, but how it's been functioning in the life of this nation that's been a colony of the United States for, you know, over 120 years. Okay, now let me ask the question. Do you think mm-hmm. Puerto Rico should be an independent nation? You know, that's such a good question. I, um, so I'm someone of uh, Puerto Rican heritage. My, my heritages are um, African-American, West Indian, and Puerto Rican. And um, at this point, uh, I think the people of Puerto Rico should be looking really, really, really closely at the question of independence because what we've seen is that in the question of dependence, which is what Puerto Rico has now, it's really, really not working for the people of the island. Um, But I also, you know, I also think that the most important thing, which we have not had, is an opportunity for the people of Puerto Rico to self-determine. You know, there's some people within the island who want to be, you know, a state in the United States. There are some people who want to continue, you know, with the status that they have, but there's an increasing number of people who are seeing that the colonial deal, um, however well it may have worked at different times in the past, um, between the current uh, and ongoing debt crisis and um, with the hurricane and now, you know, all of these scandals of corruption in the government, it's really not working for the people. Okay. With that being said, I really, when I was reading the synopsis of the story, I was reading it like, Okay, okay, okay. And then, like, I had to reread once I got to how it went from here's this woman that's in the Caribbean and she got these sugar daddies, and then all of a sudden she turns into, like, a planeteer and she's, like, really trying to work and and fight, like, all these, you know, environmental issues. That's right. That's right. How did that? How did you sway that in? Well, I think that's part of what you know. I think part of what happens, um, and I think part of what's happening for people of color all around the world on this issue of climate and climate change. You know, for us as people of color, particularly people of color within the United States, the environmental movement has been perceived as very white and the parts of the environmental movement maybe that we've seen or that has gotten a lot of press has been pretty white. Um, But the truth is that people of color all around the world are fighting for land and water rights and resources and are fighting corporations who want to extract resources from their soil Um, you know, that those are fights, are are fighting to keep corporations from dumping toxins on their land, you know, in our neighborhoods, um, by our schools, in, you know, in um, indigenous people's water. And so all of these fights have been going on 
um, although they're not, you know, like Standing Rock, for example, was much more visible than some of these other fights. But these fights are ongoing where indigenous people and people of color and people of the global south have been fighting. Now, this particular character, Dulce, you know, she's been living in the hood. She's had a lot of hard things happening to her. And she's just been in survival mode. Like, she has not been somebody with, you know, a lot of time to sit back and contemplate concerns about climate in the future. But when she finds herself in the middle of Hurricane Maria, like, it just, her immediate survival becomes linked to these issues of climate and the immediate survival of everyone around her becomes immediately linked to these issues of climate. So she, it's like, it completely changes her perspective and shifts her consciousness about climate. And so that's part of, you know, what I was hoping to do with the book. You know, I don't want um, it to take some disaster for all of us as people of color in the United States to begin to wrap our minds around um, these climate issues are coming for us, not just people on the Gulf Coast, not just people in the Caribbean, but one way or another, it's coming for all of our communities. And we need to join uh, the movements uh, all around the world that are fighting to really change the ways that we handle our business because, you know, we're looking at the possibility of the extinction of our species, and that is a pretty immediate concern. I agree, especially when you think about what's happening in Michigan and Flint, you know, with the water being contaminated. And it feels like, you know, when it comes to preserving humanity and capitalism, it seems like capitalism is winning, right? Yes. More gas, more oil. (laughs) Right. That's right. And I think, you know, and here's the thing, they can't ever really win because it's just not sustainable. So the issue is, like, we need to back up and take that loss sooner rather than taking that bigger loss later. That is, that's the truth, and it's, it's a hard truth that a lot of people aren't able to really understand right now. I guess people, they really don't understand, like, how really being concerned about the environment is not just, you know, a few people issues, all of our issues, especially when it comes to race, because, you know, yeah. environmental racism is really real. Yes, so, it is. How did you come up with the, you know, with Garcia? Like, why is she a teen? Or why is she starting as, you know, her her background as a teen being exploited? Why is that important for her character? Well, you know, part of what happened in this series is that um, I was writing a different book, and that was sort of what I had in mind, and then the hurricane hit, and I thought, oh, my God, I've got to change topics. I have to write about this hurricane. And then in that process, it was like I needed to pick a character that I had previously developed in the series to... um, to carry this book. And I was like, you know, who am I going to who am I going to pick from the various characters that I've previously developed? Because 
in the books before, I was always, I always had the luxury, you know, to be like two books ahead. Oh, what characters do I want to start introducing now so that uh, they can get their own book, you know, in the next book and the book after that. But this time, all my books had been written, and so I had to go back through. And in the first book, Marisol Rivera had rescued this teenage girl who uh, was being pimped, and she was a Latina, and she, you know, in the end of the book, there was, you know, she had kind of been rescued, had been um, taken care of, and I thought, oh, she's the perfect character, you know, and so what I had to do in the beginning of Side Chick Nation was unrescue her. I had to come up with you know, a way for her to get out of a safe and comfortable situation and get into some kind of mess. But, you know, if there's one thing that we know, it's that um, those of us who are trauma survivors who, uh, you know, have had really hard things happen to us and have been living in a sort of a heightened sense of fighting for survival, um, sometimes we can sabotage good situations and get ourselves into drama. And so it was not difficult to uh, pick up this character and imagine her sabotaging not one, but two good situations and even kind of sabotaging wow. to get herself into uh, a mess. And so, like, as the book opens, she is living illegally in a storage unit in Puerto Rico trying to just ride out this second hurricane. Um, and, uh, you know, she was anxious, so she's, you know, she drank a bunch of rum and smoked a bunch of weed, and, like, the storage space is flooding, and she's literally laying there kind of not quite able to wake up as the water level is rising um, because, you know, she's not always making, um, she's not always making decisions that are in her best interest because, you know, given the kind of trauma that she's been through, mm -hmm. she's always had to just make do and do the best she could with what she had. So that's kind of where she's at at the beginning of the book. And, you know, the book ultimately, it's about the hurricane, it's about environmentalism, it's about fighting climate change, and it's also about this woman being very much transformed by the experience, and it's romantic suspense, so it's also about her finding love um, along the way unexpectedly. Cool. Now, let me ask you. I read that, you know, like you and you also said that, you know, you have Puerto Rican heritage, but you grew up in LA, LA and you're raised in the Bay Area. How do you connect with, you know, your Puerto Rican and your Caribbean side, you know, outside of your home if you don't grow up with that type, both individuals around you all the time is it easier to you know like travel to puerto rico or parts of the caribbean to like try to find it because like my family is southern and i grew up in the midwest so you mm -hmm. know for me to like get into you know feel more of my southern roots i have to actually go there you know where mm -hmm. they grew up at to experience everything to eat what they had to see how they lived and endure the heat you know all mm -hmm. the time trying to get the essence of how my family grew up 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I would say that it's a mix, right? So, yeah, I was born in Los Angeles um, and then came up to the Bay Area really before elementary school. So I did all my elementary school years here in the Oakland Bay Area. And then I lived on the East Coast for about seven years in my late teens and early 20s. But then I was back here in the Bay Area. So I've been here for most of my life where there's a relatively small Caribbean community, a relatively vibrant African-American community, but the Caribbean community, whether it was, you know, kind of Latin Caribbean or, you know, from the British West Indies has been small. Um, I was really fortunate that in the late 90s, there was um, sort of this blossoming of this young, progressive crew um, doing a lot of Puerto Rican solidarity activism here in the Bay Area. Um, People of Puerto Rican heritage just suddenly, you know, putting us on the map culturally. And that was huge for me in terms of feeling like I had some kind of Puerto Rican community right here at home. Um, Also, my, you know, I, my partner, who I'm married to, is Jamaican and Trinidadian. So, you know, between going back and visiting his homeland and just community that we built uh, with other West Indian folks, that's been important and powerful for me because my dad's side of the family is also West Indian, and that connection is further back. And I, you know, my mom, I was raised mostly with my mom as a single mom um, who's, you know, very much culturally Puerto Rican, even though she was born here, right? So those heritages can feel very distant. But I did a lot of work in my 20s and early 30s around reclaiming those heritages. So feeling like I could write about my people. Um, And that's been really important. Visiting the islands um, has just been critical in terms of feeling like I could write about my people. But the other thing, even though those are my heritages, every time I write a book, I always have a bunch of people that I consult with, you know, always um, to, to like read through my book and be like, did I get it right? So for example, with the first book, um, Uptown Thief, I had a sister that I knew who was a New Yorican and was like, sis, will you read my book and tell me like, how am I doing? Like, did I get it right? You know? And she was like, I think she gave me one note, but she was like, no, no, you got it. And then with this most recent book, I had a woman who was a hurricane survivor and asked, you know, and, and she was a, um, what's called a sensitivity reader. So, like, I paid her a particular amount of money to, like, read through those parts of my book and tell me, like, does this land right? Like, does this capture the flavor of, you know, what the reality was for people in that really bitter time. Um, And so she gave me some good feedback. And, you know, I've done that with not just the cultural details, but lots of different things. Because I think, you know, as a writer, I want to write about more than just the little life that I've experienced. But I also want to honor, you know, the people who have actually lived those experiences and really have people with those lived experiences read my work and be like, does this ring true or is this just some outsider perspective trying to make something up? Um, and I don't ever want to dishonor the communities that I write about. If, 
either if I'm not a part of that community or if I'm a little bit distant from those parts of my own community. I always want to honor them. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a really good um, topic to, to ring on because I feel like I've been seeing an uh, uprise in sensitivity ed- editors, and I'm glad that you admit that you use one because I feel like a lot of people, especially white people and, and people that are outside of marginalized groups, they try to write about groups and experiences that they don't have first, second, or third hand about. And it, when you read it, it reads very obvious that they're Oh, obvious. my God, right? You're like, have you ever met a black person? <laughs> yes. It's so bad. It's and very I bad. Think, so I'm you glad know, that you, you, you really highlighted that, that you use a sensitivity yes. editor. Yeah. And I talk about it in, you know, kind of author's context. And I'll say to people, like, I could get away without doing it, right? Because, you know, I could be defensible. This is where I am Puerto Rican. You know, and even, okay, even with my African-American book, um, the second book in the series, so each book in the series follows a different woman, and the women have different parts of my heritage, right? So the first book is Puerto Rican, the second book is African-American, and the third book is West Indian. So the second book, it's African-American. Like, I've been black in the United States my whole life, right? And so, and, you know, have a real kind of diverse set of experiences and know a lot of different black people. But guess what? This young woman is black from Chicago, and I am not from Chicago, and I haven't even spent a lot of time in Chicago. Now, Chicago black culture is very strong, but... You know, I still found somebody who was a sister from Chicago and paid her a little bit of money to be like, girl, did I get the details right? And she, like, overall, I did fine. But what was great was she was like, you know, instead of just saying you're from the south side, you know, you should say you're from a particular, people would say they're from a particular neighborhood within the south side. And from what you've described, this sounds like, such and such neighborhood. And then there was like a funeral and she's, oh, and it would be at this funeral home, right? And just those details that show that you respect a community and you respect a place. So I, you know, that was powerful for me um, to have that kind of as part of the story. Um, And the same thing with the West Indian book. Like, you know, my people are from St. Kitts and Nevis, but that is four generations ago. And also St. Kitts and Nevis are so small, it didn't really make sense to set it there. I set it in Trinidad, and I've never visited St. Kitts and Nevis, but I visited Trinidad, right? So I set it in Trinidad because it made more sense in general, and I also felt like I could write more authoritatively about the place. Um, I didn't set the whole thing there, but when the character goes home, she goes home to Trinidad. And so, um, you know, and and I wanted to make sure I got my Trini language right. So I hollered at <laughs> whose auntie was Trini and was like, hey, will you check out my vocabulary? Like, how would I do? Right? And so, you know, this is just the way, you know, I feel like this is the way, when you really respect a community and you want to write about a community that you respect, you want to check with the people and make sure that you're not disrespecting them. It just seems simple to me. Okay. Now, I want to ask you, is this your last, is Psychic Nation your last Justice Hustler book? It is not. So um, next year I don't have a Justice Hustlers book coming out. I have my first 
spy book coming out, which I'm actually also really excited about. And it's about um, the FBI infiltration of an eco-racial justice organization in the African-American community. So it has to do with really kind of the legacy of COINTELPRO and the legacy of domestic spying on um, black organizations, plus sort of the recent, you know, um, the recent FBI um, going after organizations like Black Lives Matter while these white supremacist terrorists are just wilding out and not getting the same kind of... um, the same kind of scrutiny and surveillance. So it also kind of speaks to that. Um, but there is, a, there is a fifth Justice Hustlers book, and it's basically the book that I was working on when I put it aside to write Side Chick Nation as the fourth Justice Hustlers book. Um, and the, that book, it doesn't have a title yet, but um, one of the things when you're writing heist novels if you are writing about a crew of, of criminals, who like, a crew of thieves, um, then you can write a thousand heist novels because that's what they do for a living. It's like, oh, you know, we're going right. out, we're going to steal something, we found who we want to rob, we're going to do it. But if you're not writing about a crew of thieves, then people have to sort of stumble upon a situation where they end up stealing something. And, you know, if you have these people who end up sort of stumbling upon this to steal and stumbling upon that to steal, uh, at some point it just becomes silly. You know, it's like nobody just keeps stumbling upon all these, these things to steal. So I, and also if you're Robin Hood, you know, and you are, you know, and you, you know, you've saved the clinic, you've saved this, you've saved that. It just, it starts to get silly. So I, I ran out of ideas, but then I came up with the idea of a jailbreak heist. And I love the idea of people having, you know, because a jailbreak is basically like a theft. It's just like you're stealing a person from a jail mm-hmm. instead of stealing money from a safe. So I was like, ooh, yes, a jailbreak, a jailbreak, that'd be good. So I have this jailbreak heist idea in my mind, and that's going to be the last Justice Hustlers book, I think. Then after that, what's, you know, what's next for you? Do you want to, what other genres do you want to tackle if you do want to tackle other genres? Um, Well, like I said, there's the, um, there's the spy book, but the other thing that I've been working on is a young adult series, which is like a teen girl spy series with black and Latina girls. And I'm excited about that as well. Um, those are sort of works in progress. Young adult is really on the rise in the, in the past couple of years, like not even just amongst teens, but, you know, new adults and even older people, like they're really into young adults. Do you, can you like figure out like why people are like really into oh, young yeah. adults? Oh, well, yeah. I love reading young adult fiction, and the thing, the thing that I like about it is there, I mean, for me, one of the reasons that I like reading young adult fiction, particularly like young adult and middle grade, even, you know, writing about even younger folks, first of all, I was that, you know, all of us were those ages, and so we can relate to those characters. But for me also, a lot of times I listen at nighttime, like when I'm falling asleep. And in an adult novel, like anything can happen. You know, things can just, you know, any kind of horror can happen to these characters. 
one of the things in young adult fiction, particularly middle grade or younger young adult fiction, there's just a little more restraint around certain kinds of violence. And so I find that some of the young adult books can deliver, can really deliver all of sort of the plot complexities and twists and turns um, while being something that doesn't get my adrenaline going too much at nighttime. So that's one of the things, you know, that's really practical that draws me to young adult fiction. But also there are just some great writers, you know, really, really good writers, great stories. Um, fun characters, interesting ideas, um, and just a lot of really good, juicy stuff going on in young adult fiction. So I aspire to be part of that world. Okay, last question. For all the listeners who are aspiring writers and novelists and, you know, people who want to write young adult fiction or, you know, even feminist heights as as you're being coined as, as your books, what advice would you give them to, to, to write books? Great. Well, the first piece of advice I would give them is just yes. If you have ever thought, even fleetingly, that you want to write, then assume that it's true. Assume that you do. And then I want people to assume that they have something to say and that they're good enough to write. Um, And then you have to get ready to roll up your sleeves and do a whole lot of work, you know. You'll be writing and revising and writing and revising. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great to start out with short stories or shorter books, but definitely if you're trying to write a novel, um, you know, it's going to take a while. Um, and so really kind of I would say get ready for a journey, right? It's not going to be a sprint. <laughs> Writing a book is a marathon Um, type situation and also figure out how to build a support system around yourself you know writing is on the one hand a very solitary act but really the people who succeed are often the people who have a really good support system and that means uh, people to encourage you to keep going when you get discouraged people to look at your work and give you good feedback. And good feedback doesn't always mean it's good. Good feedback means, you know, folks who will help you assess uh, what's working well in your piece and how to strengthen it. Um, But you never want people who are just negative and trying to tear you down. But you also don't want people who are just going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you go and try and send it to an agent and the agent's like, what? You know, so you need people who will help you make your work better. And then eventually you probably need some professional folks in there to help you, whether you try and get traditionally published and you need a literary agent or you want to self-publish and then you need a freelance editor to make sure that your book is tight and, you know, like a designer to make your cover. Um, But, yeah, I think we live in such an exciting time because there are lots of different ways that we can get our stories out there. Um, But the one thing, uh, no matter what we do, is that there's no shortcut to putting in the work to have a quality book. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, it's taken me decades, really, to go from the point of thinking, I'd like to be a novelist, to like, bam, I have books published. And so it's been critical uh, to be patient and to do the work 
And then to celebrate, you know, because I was, I've just been, was saying to a friend of mine recently, like, you know, life is good. This is exciting. I've always wanted to be a novelist. And lo and behold, I am one. And because I've been on a, you know, a book a year contract, like I went five years ago from having nothing published to not even quite five years later, bam, four books published. And so that's been great you know, and exciting, and um, it is very doable, but you've got to be able to put in the work and don't get discouraged when it's tough or you have disappointments or setbacks or it's slow going. Every writer will tell you, like, you know, it's, there are times when it's tough, but you've got to hang in there. That is great advice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. So Absolutely. for you all that are listening, um, um, this is going to be on our YouTube channel. There will be a link in the episode. So you can go check it out. I'm going to be reading some of the book on YouTube. So, you know, I welcome all the feedback. So thank you for coming on Daisy Bug. I really appreciate it. And sign to Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Tell everybody yeah. where to find you. Oh yes. So um so Side Chick Nation, uh the novel for book number four in the Justice Hustler series is available now. You can buy it at your local independent bookstore. If they don't have it in stock, you can ask them to order it and it's distributed by Penguin Random House and published by Kensington Books. You can also get it online at sort of the usual suspects where people buy books online, but I encourage folks um, especially to purchase online from IndieBound, I-N-D-I-E Bound, or Powell's Books, and those are independent bookstores that also do mail order. And if you want to get a hold of me, uh, there are a number of places you can find me. My website is ayadeleon.com, that's A-Y-A-D as in David, E-L-E-O-N, as in Nancy, ayadeleon.com. And you can also find me, I run my mouth a lot on Twitter, at, at Aya De Leon. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram um, at Aya De Leon Writes with an S on the end. Yes. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. I'm looking forward into finishing this book and talking about it all on social media. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening and tuning in. And keep reading, keep writing. All right, peace. Good night, everybody. Peace.